Welcome third year students. So this podcast is going to cover the last of the theories that we are talking about in class. And this uh, podcast follows the first gender-based violence podcast and continues the conversation about masculinity and patriarchy, about rape culture, um, and it therefore concludes our thinking not only of gender-based violence, but also the course as a whole. So this is the, the final theories that you will be uh, required to know and understand in, in class. Now, as I've said, the, the previous podcast on gender-based violence did touch on all of these things, um, but it, it was focused primarily on sort of introducing the, the concepts to you. So I want to be a little bit more direct and straightforward about uh, the concepts so that you understand how to use them. I don't think I'm going to spend a lot of time in this podcast going over the details of these um, because I would rather be more straight to the, to the point so that you have this information. But of course, the readings that come from class and the class discussion are still valuable for thinking about these things. And um, if you have questions, of course, you're welcome to ask them as always. So I'm going to start talking today about masculinity. And uh, masculinity comes after we've spoken about violence theories, about childhood theories, about media theories. And so we've had quite a range of approaches to thinking about why crime and violence happens. And when we get to the gender, the gender stuff, we are continuing with many of the themes that we saw in those sections. And in particular, the idea that we should move away from thinking about bad individuals and think instead about society, as well as to try and think through the, the bigger social uh, implications and uh, causes of crime and violence. And masculinity certainly is doing this as well. So while masculinity is uh, defined as the possession of qualities traditionally associated with men, things like that they look a certain way or they behave a certain way or they um, you know, wear certain kinds of clothes or do certain kinds of things or use certain kinds of objects, that those qualities are individual qualities but that they stem from ideas about what a man is that come from society. So masculinity is an identity theory. It is one that is talking to us about how individuals identify, what kinds of sense of self they have. But these qualities that we are associating with men come from and are decided by the collective. They're decided by the whole of society and not by that individual man himself. So a man doesn't say, I'm a man because. Rather, society says he's a man because. Right? He looks and behaves in a certain kind of way. So, so men are accepting and adopting qualities that are defined outside of themselves.
or usually uh, defined outside of themselves. So the kinds of qualities that we're looking at are, are the kinds of uh, things that we would maybe typically think of as, as masculine. So if we think of traditional gender stereotypes, it would be things like that they're aggressive, independent, not easily influenced, that they're dominant, active, worldly, not easily hurt emotionally, decisive, not at all talkative, tough, less sensitive to others' feelings, not very desirous of security, rarely cry, logical, analytical, cruel, blunt, not nurturing. Right? These are the stereotypical masculine qualities that we associate with men. And the opposite is true of women. So we could also talk about femininity and feminine identities um, as also having stereotypical representations. So um, in quite the converse to masculine identities, you see that femininity is about being not aggressive, dependent, easily influenced, submissive, passive, home-orientated, easily hurt emotionally, um, indecisive, talkative, gentle, sensitive to others' feelings, very desirous of security, cries a lot, emotional, verbal, kind, tactful, nurturing. So these are all those stereotypical ideas that women are very sensitive, that they're emotional, that they um, are, are meant to be in the home and that they are good at raising children and, and interpersonal relationships, whereas men are, are uh, aggressive and uh, tough and um, corporate almost in the ways that they are logical and analytical and protective and um, and yeah meant for um, the workplace and those those traditional gender stereotypes are in the view of this module and, and of many of the readings that you will be, be doing are not linked specifically to the kinds of bodies that we have. So it is not true that every woman experiences themselves in this way or that every man experiences themselves in this way. That, in fact, men have many different kinds of uh, senses of themselves and, and their role in the world that may just simply not fit into these stereotypes. Or that when we do see these stereotypes, that they exist because society has make, made them exist. And we're going to talk about how society makes them exist in a second when we talk about uh, toxic masculinity. But um, the idea is, is very much like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? So society tells men that they um, should behave like this. So then men behave like this. So then society thinks, well, this is how men should behave. And so they then tell men how to behave, right? So it's this constant loop that reinforces the idea that men should look and behave like this. And it, and it exists beyond the individual's personal uh, attitudes, beliefs, uh, experiences, likes, dislikes, their personality. So um, these are not always helpful for thinking about what what is true of, of men and women in the world, but rather how society has shaped 
men and women in the world. And to that end, it's important to then discuss the fact that that form of masculinity, the, um, the, the traditional gender stereotypes, the ways that we typically think about masculinity, is not the only form of masculinity that exists. So there are other forms of masculinity. So in my slides, I, I mention uh, two forms of masculinity, hegemonic masculinity and toxic masculinity. masculinity. Um, these forms don't have to coexist, but in a patriarchal society, they in fact do. So let me um, try and explain these as concepts for you. So hegemonic masculin masculinity is the dominant social position of men in relation to a subordinate social position of women. It explains how and why men maintain dominant social roles over women and other gender identities which are perceived as feminine in society. So hegemonic masculinity is the dominant form of masculinity. It's the form that is collectively agreed upon and it is the one that at any social, time, uh, social moment is um, in power, right? And toxic masculinity is uh, society's constructed expectations of masculinity as inherently violent, unemotional, sexually irrepressible. That masculinity that needs to reaffirm itself through language, religion, culture and other means by belittling women in rough and subtle ways. So within patriarchal society, toxic masculinity is the hegemonic masculinity. So if we think of hegemonic masculinity as uh, the presidency, right? toxic masculinity is the president. Or if we think of hegemonic masculinity as the throne, toxic masculinity is the king who sits on the throne. Okay, and because hegemonic masculinity is the dominant social position or the favorite version of masculine, masculinity, what we are saying is, is that within patriarchy, toxic masculine, masculinity is the favorite version of, of men within patriarchy. So this is the kind of, of masculinity that, that people are saying is appropriate, normal, expected within a patriarchal society. And so let's look again at toxic masculinity. It's about saying that masculinity is inherently violent, unemotional, and sexually irrepressible. Sexually irrepressible meaning that it is hypersexual, right? That, that you can't repress that sexuality, that it is... is um, all-consuming. So those three things are incredibly important because um, they give us the structure of a masculinity that is actually incredibly problematic. And this is why it's called toxic, is because it's, it's violent, it is repressed, it is uh, hypersexual. And, it, and those three things uh, are could very easily be linked to the ways that rapists are being um, experienced and gender-based violence are being experienced in the world, and certainly in South Africa. Now, what's important about this model that says that 
there is a dominant form of masculine masculine why can't I say that today um a dominant form of masculinity and that that dominant form at the moment is toxic masculinity but what that does is it opens up room for other forms of masculinity to um exist and also to come to dominate so if toxic toxic masculinity is the form that is on the throne at the moment there could be a time where other forms of masculinity also um come to take the throne so we could have other versions and other positions and other identities and there there are other forms of masculinity forms that um have different understandings of what it is to be a man than toxic masculinity so um it is not that every man in society subscribes to toxic masculinity it is that the general culture around thinking about men within a patriarchal society is currently toxic but they that they exist other positions that are available other identities for men to adopt and that those positions in time could get enough of a following to be able to um take the throne to take the hegemonic position in society to be the dominant version of thinking about masculinity so there's a couple of graphs that i have on my slides that I do encourage you to look at because they help us to think about the relationship between hegemonic masculinity, patriarchy and toxic masculinity. So the first one is a circular graph in which we see hegemonic masculinity, remember the dominant or the favorite form of of masculinity linked into gender socialization and that is how we raise our children. So if we all decide that our favorite version of being a man is to be aggressive we're going to raise our boys to be aggressive and this leads to a power inequality so we then have uh, men who are aggressive in society and that um that are more powerful over their uh siblings or other women in society this leads to uh social health inequalities so differences in access to resources differences in access to um health resources a, a difference in the ways that bodies are understood and treated and um and engaged with in society which leads to the social reproduction of patriarchy so when people are um ordered hierarchically in society that's the idea of inequality and they then reinforce a system of oppression through the fact that they are unable to to change what what is happening or that they accept that what is happening is normal which of course leads to a reinforcement of patriarchal structures as a whole and to the the general system in which um patriarchy is operating which feeds back into the ideas of hegemonic masculinity so it's a circle it's a loop in which these things link to each other the other graph that I, I present is one about toxic masculinity and this is trying to think about 
how young boys are shaped into toxic men and how hegemonic uh, masculinity, which as we know is, the to is toxic masculinity, is uh, articulated in particularly those gender socialization processes. And there are a couple of points that lead off from toxic masculinity. And the first is be a man. So when we tell men to, you know, grow a pair, be a man, stand up, you know, like um, those ideas uh, tell men that being aggressive, being a certain kind of man is what is desired in society. That, that you, you can't just be a person. You must be a man. And what is a man? Within a patriarchal society, a man is very closely defined to those stereotypes we spoke about earlier. The second idea is that within toxic masculinity, men are never a victim. That they, they uh, are, if they feel victimized or that if they feel like um, something is wronged, they've been wronged in any kind of way, they have to defend themselves and be strong and um, be able to stand up for themselves and be aggressive. And so the idea of never being a victim um, reinforces the ideas of toxic masculinity. The next idea is the idea of emasculation. And this is uh, when in society we tell men that they're not real men if dot dot dot. And then we fill that in with things like, if you don't have the good job, or you don't have the good car, or you don't have six six chicks um, running after you at all times, or um, you know you reach a certain age and you don't have lots of kids, or whatever, right? So there's a ver a variety of ideas that um, reinforce that. To be a good man in society, you have to do certain kinds of things. And that if you don't, you're going to be bullied and um, belittled. The next idea is, is initiations. And this is particularly where the gendered socialization comes in, although they all speak to this. But in terms of initiation, they're not talking like specifically of cultural initiations. They're talking much more about gendered initiations. So it's it's the processes as young boys are being raised that initiate them into being men. And whether that is through, you know, having certain kinds of engagements with their parents or with other, other young boys, there are a variety of ways in which boys are separated out from girls and made to experience things that are going to make them into men. And, um, and those things are often, uh, often violent. So it's, you know, it's, it's very often around harassment, direct physical contact about um, seeing how far uh, young, young boys can go in terms of survival or um, enduring uh, hardship that these initiations operate. So even if I think of things like um, Boy Scouts, right? You send some kids out into the woods um, by themselves to fend for themselves to make them into tough men. Well, does it uh, make them into tough men or does it just 
give them so much trauma that they are unable to process things properly. So um, we need to think through about how these things particularly are gendered, how these kinds of violences are normalized and accepted amongst young boys in the interests of making them into the kind of stereotypical men that we would define as toxic. Then um, the, it comes with the idea of suppressed emotions, so the idea that men can't cry and, um, and that, that demonstrating any kind of emotional response is problematic. And lastly, the idea of violence. The toxic masculinity comes from and causes violence. So men are encouraged to uh, experience violence when they're, when they're young, to take it. And to use that to become good men, and I, you can't see me doing the air quotes around good, but I am. Um, and then later to use violence to continue to um, perform their masculinity. So violence is a, a key part of toxic masculinity. And what does this do? So I've got a, um, a really nice comparison of what that means for men. So the first thing is that it it says that men must always be strong. But the issue with that is that the pressure and fear of ridicule, if the high standards of manhood are not met, actually weigh on men. So men must outwardly display strength, but internally that is felt often as a as a pressure and fear of ridicule. Number two, men can't be emotional. But the suppression of emotions causes inner turmoil and can affect mental health. Number three, men must dominate. But men who care for their wives are called henpecked or whipped, right? We know those terms. Number four, men are more entitled. But women are expected to do what the man wants. This may also be what leads to rape. Five, men must always win. But... Men are pressured to go to any extent, including threat, violence, or cheating, to, to do this, to win. Number six, men are fearless, but they can't ask for help and therefore must suffer alone. Number seven, men must initiate sex with women, but they are ashamed if they complain of rape. Heteronormativity also promotes homophobia. So this idea that, that well, in fact, all of these ideas, that men are entitled, that they must win, that they are fearless, that they must initiate sex, that these have consequences for the ways that they experience themselves and the world around them, and they lead to negative consequences. Okay, number eight, men are genetically programmed to be to be uh, promiscuous, but the Playboy image impacts women negatively. Number nine, men must provide for the family but they feel emasculated or belittled in terms of their gender if their spouse earns more. Number 10, men must have heavy voices and they must love sports. But even if someone is not queer and doesn't possess these required qualities, they are ridiculed. So um, all of these things that we think men must be like have consequences for men themselves 
and for the world around them and certainly have consequences for women. So why is it, for example, that, that men can't, uh, uh, or that men must love sports? Surely it should be okay if men just don't love something, that they don't participate in that. But in, in a society where uh, what we think of as a good man is so heavily controlled, it wouldn't be okay for a guy to just say to his friends, you know what, I don't like soccer and, and I'm not going to come and hang out with you today. Because that would just be seen as weird. So um, the controls and ways that masculinity operates is to, to really define and police men for the kinds of masculine, masculinities that they demonstrate. So they can't just choose based on their own personality who they want to be. They have to play by the rules. And the rules are very clear about what kind of man counts as a good man. And the last sort of image that I include in my slides is, is just one that has a young boy uh, crying. And it says, man up or die. How toxic masculinity affects suicidal tendencies in men. The consequences of, suicide, of toxic masculinity is that um, men, men, adult men, commit suicide far more often than women because the constraints of a toxic masculinity, that where they can't live authentically to themselves, they can't ask for help, they are bullied and pressured into behaving in ways that are not natural for them means that they have very little recourse when they feel uh, like that's affecting their um, mental and physical health. So what do men do when it becomes too much? Who can they turn to? And within a toxic masculinity model, there are very few people that men can turn to. And why this is important is that while we can talk about patriarchy and masculinity as being dominant within society and uh, allowing for power that belongs with men, the consequences of this is not only with women. So it's not only that toxic masculinity hurts women. It does hurt women, and we see that consistently in, in the South African society as one example. But it also hurts men. It hurts men in the ways that they are able to uh, behave and live their lives. It, but it also uh, ends their lives, in some cases too early, because of, of suicide that is unevenly experienced by men because of toxic masculinity. So the idea of patriarchy, which is the idea that male is the favored gender in which men hold power, dominion and privilege and which can be found at the family, community, social and governmental levels is important um, and it is important for the ways that it, think it shapes both men and women in society in the ways that, that men and women interact with each other, it's also important to think about how this is actually 
a model that is toxic to everybody. It is toxic to women and it is also toxic to men. So when we talk about toxic masculinity, it is toxic to everybody, not just to women. But when we then do start to think then about rape, and uh, specifically in rape culture, what we are looking at is how those ideas within toxic masculinity shape and promote gender-based violence and the victimization of, of women um, and other vulnerable people in relation to gender. So we've seen how within toxic masculinity, young boys are, are often uh, targets of violence and young boys often experience sexual violence um, in the ways that they, their, their identities are being formed. But that too is a form of gender-based violence. So um, because it is targeted at young boys in the service of creating toxic men, it can be defined as, as gender-based violence. So when we talk about rape culture, although many of the definitions do focus on women, and I'm glad that this point was raised in class, we do also want to include any kind of sexual violence um, in the service of making toxic men or expressing the values and, and norms of, of toxic masculinity. So let's um, talk about rape culture. Rape culture is an integrated set of beliefs, norms, values, conceptions that encourage and promote the victimization of women, as I said, and others. Norms and culture that promote um, objectifying women as sexual instruments instead of fully human individuals with personalities, likes and dislike, um, dislikes and consent. So these are many of the beliefs of tos toxic masculinity that uh, shape how men and women behave and that see women primarily as sexual objects rather than as actual fully consenting individuals with their own uh, personalities, their own interests, their own um, lives, really. So these uh, beliefs, norms, and norms, values, and conceptions exist in society um, at large. And as I said, they are embedded in the idea of toxic masculinity but they are also broader than just uh, toxic masculinity in that they are also um, embedded in how we think of women, embedded in how we think of the relationship between men and women, so heteronormative um, ideas. Um, we see things like corrective rape being a part of this. So it's about the ways that we think about sexuality broadly. And who can initiate sexuality, who has the rights to, to make decisions in relationships, and all of that kind of stuff. So it's obviously linked very closely to patriarchy and toxic masculinity, but it's, it's bigger even than that. And it includes things like um, the ways that we talk about the genders, it includes the jokes that we make, it includes the ways that work is organized, 
And so it's embedded in all of the different structures of society. And because of that, it belongs to all of us. It doesn't just belong to rapists, and it doesn't just belong to men. It belongs to all of us who are saying things like, um, you know, why did she wear a short skirt? Or why was she drinking? Or, or even things like, um, you know, that women just belong in the kitchen. Or that men don't cry. All of those ways of thinking and talking about the world support the gendered categories as they currently exist and build up towards viewpoints that see women just as sexual objects. So I've included also again in my slides um, a really nice graph um, which is a pyramid shape and at the, uh, at the bottom you will see that what is included in, in rape culture is sexist, homophobic, transphobic jokes, problematic language, objectification. So at the start of rape culture is things that we all participate in. The ways that we joke and talk about women, the words that we use, the, the sexist language, the, um, the ways that media represents women and men and women and we accept that you know when a woman is in a music video or a advert dressed up in a bikini and slinked over a car and they you know they they look like they are um simulating sex right that kind of imagery objectifies women and it is hugely problematic because it is one step from saying women are just an object to saying, well, if they're just an object, then they can't consent, right? Objects can't consent. So don't think that it's just a joke. In fact, the, the kind of jokes and the kinds of um, innocent, innocent in quotation marks, and things that people say uh, actually matter. Next up on the on the pyramid on the hierarchy is traditional roles, glass ceilings, rigid gender based stereotypes. Um, okay, so getting um, more complicated in terms of the gender relationships and and really starting to curtail what women are able to do and how we define what men and women are. Then the next section is is harassment, threats, and verbal abuse. So non contact. Forms of violence. We've spoken about the different levels of violence in the course. So this is still violent, but but not actually touching anybody. And and then the next section is uh, is far more more serious than any of the levels below in that it uh, includes rape, sexual assault, physical, emotional, and financial abuse. So really serious forms of gender-based violence. And lastly, the cap on the pyramid is murder. So we go from, from jokes to murder in a couple of steps. And that is, how, that is what um, rape culture is saying, is, is that those sexist jokes and the, the gender stereotypes and the harassment and the, uh, the sexual assault and leads all the way up the ladder to murder. And so... Um, it's important to interrogate the ways that we talk about and think about the world because these buffer other kinds of behaviors. It supports 
other kinds of behaviors. And so what we need to see in society more of is an interrogation of engagement with and even support um, for people who are making change in relation to those norms, attitudes, beliefs, uh, values, concepts that underpin gender-based, uh, underpin rape culture. So we need both men and women to be allies with women. We don't want women who are going to also be saying, well, why was she drinking? But we also don't need men who are going to um, not call out their friends when, when their friends are just, you know, saying that their girlfriend's a bitch and deserves to, to get a good hiding, right? Or that, that at a taxi rank when uh, people are catcalling women and it's clearly uncomfortable for the woman um, to not intervene, and obviously this doesn't only happen at taxi ranks, this happens everywhere. But um, but the point is to show that it's those everyday encounters uh, in the home, amongst trusted friends and family, where a lot of difference can actually be made. It's those everyday, ordinary conversations and ways of talking and thinking about the world that are the best places to make the kind of change that we need to see. So I'm going to leave this podcast there at that point um, because I think that thinking about rape culture and the ways that we can intervene is hugely important. Please let me know, as always, if you have any questions. And um, this does conclude the, the course content for the module. So if there are questions even about other parts of the module, uh, I will happily help you with those as you are preparing in particular those two big assignments that really count a lot towards your semester marks. So I wish you well and uh, we will continue to chat about any questions or uh, the assignments going forward. Cheers.